Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Penelope Pretz. Penelope is the Chief Information, Data, and Analytics Officer at Accenture, a global technology services and consulting firm that earns in excess of $60 billion in annual revenue. She spent more than three decades with the company, having spent time as a product leader, as a managing director in charge of software alliances, technology offerings, and technology asset development, among other roles, prior to rising to become the firm's Chief Information Officer in 2019 and adding the data and analytics officer role in October of 2022. Penelope leads the company's global IT operations, including the infrastructure, services, and applications that enable Accenture people to work anytime, anywhere, across 120 countries. I look forward to hearing more about uh, all that she does to bring that to life through this conversation. Penelope, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Well, I mentioned uh, in 2019, after a, a already a long and distinguished career with the organization, you became chief information officer. And a few months ago, you added the data and analytics officer role to your CIO role. Uh, that's quite a bit uh, in that title. Uh, I wonder if you could take a moment and talk a bit about the two sides, if I may uh, interpret it as such, your CIO role, as well as your data and analytics officer role uh, for a moment, if you would. Sure. If we think about the two halves of the roles, right, they're really one big synergistic role in that the technology is the supply chain for the data that we use to make decisions about the performance of the company and where we should go. So in merging the two roles together, what I'm able to do is look across the landscape holistically and see not only what data is available and how I might use it, but where it originates, whether or not I can improve it at origination to be uh, bigger, better, faster, whatever, right? So I really like that the two work together in harmony to yield a value outcome, which is helping my company make better, faster performance decisions about where they want to go next. And was the data and analytics officer role a new one? Was there a predecessor for that side of your set of responsibilities? Or was this a relatively new insight or idea to have uh, have this called out uh, as part of an executive's set of responsibilities? It was a new role within Accenture, and we had it set up to be a new role. And as we were looking at how to actually fill that role and where to put that person and how it might integrate with the rest of the organization, it became a natural fit to combine it with the technology house because data and technology are so closely intertwined. Uh, who knows what tomorrow will bring as the market moves, as we learn more about these kinds of things and where we want to take the company, we could decide something different. But for now, it provides a really good synergy across the two. So that's the direction that we went. And talk a bit, if you would, Penelope, about the teams underneath you. Are, do you have separate and distinct teams uh, representative of the two sides of your set of responsibilities? Are there other leaders like yourself who uh, bridge a gap across those those two? How is it structured, please? So physically, they are separated shops because their vision, their strategy, their remit is somewhat different. The important thing to remember, though, whether you're talking about the data itself and how you bring it forward to consume it within the company or the tech that gives birth to the data, preps it and sends it up the supply chain, the important thing overall is not just the technology, Peter, right? And you know this from talking to other CIOs and talking to the market. There's a whole host of buttressing capabilities around technology today that are new for CIOs, that we're having a good time figuring out how to bring those to play for our company. Things like 
the experience layer with accessibility as an example. How do we make sure that the experience is positive for 700,000 people across all of that tech and all of that data? Um, change management. How do we make sure that people know how to use the tools we bring them, whether it's a database tool or whether it is a technology-based tool that helps them to do something, perform an action, drive a decision? So it's a multidisciplinary house the two primary nodes are the technology stack, right, which is the CIO hat, and the data stack, which is the CDAO hat, and try saying that five times fast. But they work together, and they're buttressed by a number of services that are common across both. Make sense? That does make sense. And I'd love to talk about some of those services. Can you talk a bit of, I love the, the way in which you've described the relationship between the two sides and the logic of bringing those together. Talk a bit about the services and how they've been developed, if you would. So when we think about the services that need to support both of these capabilities, they've got common names, things you'd be very familiar with, but let's take a very specific example. When we think about how to build out a technology stack to service a particular area of Accenture, regardless of the functionality that's riding on it, we have to think about performance, the scalability, the accessibility. What's the user going to experience? Is it going to be fragmented or together? And so we have a team that does nothing but focus on next in market. What are the emerging technologies in a particular domain? In this case, let's say data supply chain. What are the emerging technologies for capturing and transporting data? And we do an analysis with our go-to-market brethren who directly serve clients about what the current market tech is and what's the tech of tomorrow. Because as the CIO for a professional services company, I think it's an incredibly important part of my job to bring tech forward to Accenture and its entire population a couple of years before the mass market is ready to buy it. That way, Accenture personnel have time to learn, to touch, to do, to experience it increases credibility, it increases ease of use, and it makes it a much easier dialogue with the customer, right? So when we think about those things, my tech selection group has to be a couple of years ahead of the market thinking about what's next. As a very specific example in that, we marry up our data strategy with both centralized and edge capabilities as you know, the edge is rapidly changing. And so thinking about not what's present today, but what could be present in two years that we need to prepare for now in how we set our data strategy, how we distribute our data, that's really exciting stuff. But we have a common team that would do that, whether it's a technology or a data capability. It's a great overview, Penelope. And it brings to mind the fact that there are a couple of different lenses to what you've described. You have, as you mentioned, 700,000 people within the organization, mind-boggling in terms of the scale. You also just, it's a very high uh, brain power business that you have, uh, services business that you, you have, and therefore staying on top of the needs of such a, you know, high, a, a high brain power group like yours. Uh, there must be challenges associated with that and making sure you are staying ahead as you describe. And then likewise, many of your clients are your peers. That is, many of the company's clients are your peers. Again, sophisticated technology users. And therefore, the way in which you think about technology, you really do, I, I would imagine, have to be peering around corners, uh, contemplating the art of the possible, thinking about where technology is going to be in five or 10 years, not just for the use of Accenture, but by extension, uh, use of an insight for the clients that the company Company serves as well. Um, I, I wonder how how do you how do you go about that process of being aware of uh, the art of the possible and peering around those corners in order to deliver what you've just described. 
Well, the great thing about my job and working for a technology-centric company like Accenture is that all 720,000 plus people um, do not hesitate to tell me what they think of how I'm doing my job and what I can do to serve them better. So it's great to have a population that interacts with you and keeps you on the very edge of understanding what the next thing should be that's going to bring them to a different level of satisfaction. But when we think about the broader market and how we understand what to do there, we have different arms in Accenture that serve different parts of the market. I'll give you a very specific example of a group we pair very closely with, which is the cloud first group at Accenture, which focuses on speaking with clients about how their cloud strategies are driving business transformation. Some clients are way behind. They've barely begun the cloud journey and they're a little bit afraid of it. Some clients are way ahead, like us, they're already fully positioned in the cloud and now they're figuring out how to live there and take advantage of it. So what we try to do is to pair with those go-to-market entities that stay on the edge of the market and hear from clients. We also work with Accenture Research, Accenture Research Labs, and Accenture Innovation, who look at small emerging companies, think about where they're going, think about how those technologies might be applied. As an example, if you haven't read the uh, Technology Trends Report from Accenture, that's good one. It has lots of fun stuff in it. And while those things are for most people, three, four, even five years out, for us, it's a two-year horizon. I really have to be thinking about how to integrate things like robotics into the overall technology picture of Accenture. So it takes a village of different parts, but I'm very fortunate to work for a company that has all those parts. My job is to thread them together and make sure that we're living on the very cutting edge of what's next in market. Very interesting. Well, certainly a priority across technology organizations is developing a greater level of sophistication relative to data and analytics. You've, of course, begun to talk a bit about that part of your purview, a significant aspect of what you are helping deliver for your company and by extension, the company's customers. I don't need to tell you that not unlike the description you just described uh, in terms of cloud journey, that different companies are in different rungs of that, that, uh, that journey. And many, many are, are swimming in data, but don't necessarily have a strategy in place in order to deliver uh, better insights from that uh, sea or ocean of data that they are collecting. And I wonder if you can offer some suggestions on how you have organized yourself in order to develop a broader data strategy and, and, and program in essence um, to, to deliver what you've, what you've been speaking about as well. So I'll share a couple of just interesting observations since I took the chair. It's only been about four or five months now. But um, one thing that is a barrier when I talk to most of my peers in market has to do with the original sources of truth for your data. And Accenture and a few leading edge companies are very fortunate in that as you convert to the cloud and you begin to pick up more SaaS capabilities, more ecosystem partners that provide managed services end to end, one of the steps you usually go through in that process is to clean your data house. You have to convert all that data into the new world and you have to think about it. So we're incredibly fortunate that over the last half decade, we have scrubbed all of our source system data to the point where I am very comfortable and, and very comforted by the data products we have to tell us what's going on. They're good quality, they're readily available, and I can invoke them. That's not the case for a lot of companies. And the number one thing that I always urge peers who are earlier in the journey than me to think about is the AI parts of this, machine learning, fancy graphics, visualization, those tools will only get better and they're great. 
but none of it means anything if you don't have good core data and if you don't understand what it means and how it interrelates. So spend some time as you're setting up your CDAO office, as you're thinking about your data strategy on the beautiful basics. Make sure you have the full sets of data that you want, that they mean what you think they mean, that you've harmonized them. Because in today's world, many different capabilities of different vendors, whether it's Workday or Salesforce or whatever company you're working with at the moment, they will use the same concepts, but they call them different things. You have to normalize that and make sure you have a language that your whole company can speak. That's first and most important in the food chain. And the second thing that I end up talking about a lot in this space, and I'm sure you have conversations around this as well, is data literacy. So we have all this beautiful data and it's out there and people are making PowerPoints and graphics and pictures and lovely. But what we're not doing and what I aspire for my company to do 100% across the board consistently is to consume data at the point of need in real time. That's not always possible for a lot of companies because the data isn't trustworthy, you can't get it fast enough, you can't present it where you need it. But for us, in our cloud strategy with where we are, with the strength of our data products and the strength of our collaboration platform, the Microsoft stack with Teams, with Power BI, I have the tools at my disposal to put information in the hands of my leaders at the moment they need it to answer the questions they have right then. Think for example, if I can combine all these pieces parts, which exist and are good, and during a call with a sales team who notices that a product is picking up speed in Japan, it's really hot, I can offer them the analytics to understand why, which industries are buying it, what types of companies, are they buying small chunks or big chunks, has the pricing changed, has the macroeconomic position in the market changed, what's leading to this? Imagine the power if you could answer those questions right that minute, not have to fire off a query and wait seven days and get a report, and maybe it helps and maybe it doesn't. That's what I want for my company, that data literacy and consumption at the point of need. That's a learned behavior. I have to assemble the tech to do it, the CIO job, but then I have to teach everyone in Accenture how to consume it, and that's the CDAO job. Hmm. Fascinating. Great overview. I really appreciate that and uh, love to, to hear more about that, those building blocks you described as well. Uh, you know, an, another uh, trend that a lot of your peers and, and, and beyond are thinking about is, is ESG and especially for your peer group, the technology implications of that and levers that one might pull in order to lead to improvements in terms of sustainability of technology and, and so forth. I know this is an area that you also are passionate about, and I wonder if you can describe a bit about the, the program you're leading from that perspective. Sure. And there, there are a couple of things that I would note about ESG in the, in the way that we're doing it. Let me talk first about the big picture. ESG is more than just carbon, water and race, right? It's society, it's governance, it's diversity. And Accenture does all those things in the broadest sense. Many programs, corporate stewardship, corporate giving, diversity management. The important thing from an ESG lens is to thread all of that together from a data perspective, CDAO hat, and put it through technology that allows the leaders in the company to consume it as they need it to understand where we are and what we need to focus on, right? And so when we think about ESG as a whole, we're working on a, a, a project with Salesforce in terms of the Nazero Cloud and getting the data to a form where it can be consumed fairly easily. But that in and of itself 
is not going to move the needle on consumption. Behind understanding where we are, baselining, tracking, exploring, we have to have programs that help change behavior. Some very specific kinds of things. Our travel system, completely unrelated to what we're doing to track ESG measurements, needs to tell our community of 720,000 people and more exactly what the carbon footprint is they're going to burn by taking a trip. Because then by comparing carbon footprints, they can make smarter travel decisions, right? Which overall lowers this picture over here of carbon consumption. Our asset management system, completely unrelated, needs to track how we choose to dispose of devices so we can understand the implications on waste management, especially electronic waste management, which is very difficult to decompose. So all these piece parts have to have sustainability behaviors built into them that then feed that bigger baseline. And when it comes to IT specifically, Peter, we think about what we need to do here. You and I know data and analytics is the most expensive technology in the market just because AI consumes incredible amount of resources, right? Data is expensive. So we have to do very basic lock and tackle things like move all the way back to the left in the development life cycle and talk to our people who are actually producing code and producing analytic learning models about their consumption of data. Centralized, edge, small pattern, big pattern. These things materially matter to the carbon footprint of IT. So it's a multi-vector attack we have to go after. No part work without the others. They're equally important, but you can't think of it as a single thing. I put in this ESG package and I'm done. That'll get you some beautiful reports, but it won't improve your position. Very interesting. And you've mentioned across a couple of, of, of your responses, some of the ecosystem players that you've pulled in, uh, whether it's a Microsoft partnership that you described or the Salesforce one you just did as well, um, you know, across multiple topics we've already diagnosed, whether it's CSG, whether it's data analytics, more generally speaking, it takes a village, one might say, in order to deliver ambitious plans like the ones that you've described. And I wonder how have you thought about building your ecosystem of, of partnerships in order to, uh, to do all that you've described at the scale of a business the size of Accenture's? Well, Accenture as a company, as a professional services firm, been in the business for a long time. We're incredibly fortunate to have very tight relationships with almost everyone in the ecosystem, right? Um, for me specifically, the power of that comes in. We talked a little bit earlier about being ahead of the market. The only way you can be ahead of the market is to co-innovate with the people who are producing the technology that's going to be dropped on the market and make sure you understand where they're going and how you're gonna join them on that journey. So that trust-based relationship with Accenture gave me the currency to have the conversations with ecosystem partners about how we can jointly develop products that are gonna change the market. In particular, they're gonna produce net new revenue streams and growth for Accenture. Very specific example. We're working with SAP right now on rise and soar for large enterprise, which is helping companies that have traditionally maintained an on-prem or even a single cloud-based footprint in SAP to a truly hosted instance and acting as a SaaS provider. That involves a ton of change in consumption behavior, business transformation. It gives you a chance to go back and look at a 20, 30, or even 40-year-old SAP landscape and think about how to get more efficient in your consumption or the ESG implications. That kind of research and development together would not be possible 
without the trust-based relationship that we've spent a long time establishing. So you can't get there on your own in today's world. It takes a village to truly develop new and novel ways to create new revenue markets. And our ecosystem partners are a huge part of that. Very interesting. Another thing I wanted to, to validate with you, Penelope, so many of us are, for the first time as a result of COVID, uh, working in hybrid environments and uh, spending some time perhaps in an office and a fair amount of time working virtually in one way, shape, or form. A business like yours has been operating in a hybrid fashion uh, for, for, for decades, certainly perhaps uh, across your entire career with the company, the nature of a business like yours going off and visiting uh, customers and uh, uh, having all sorts of, you know, working from hotels or from planes or uh, working from, from home, of course, uh, naturally as well. And therefore, yours is a company that has more experience than most in terms of bringing to life a hybrid, uh, somewhat virtual, virtual, or in some cases, primarily virtual set of experiences uh, for colleagues of yours. And, and given the, the length of, of time in which you have done so, I wonder if you have any insights as to what works best in ensuring that that is a fruitful experience, especially in a services business where your factory is in, in between the ears of the, the people that you employ and keeping them productive and collaborative and happy ultimately. Um, what are some of the things that come to mind as you think about that? Well, in my bio, right, you quoted back to me, I have to make sure people in Accenture can be connected anytime, anywhere across anything that we do. And you're right, that's been our lifestyle for a very long time. So everyone is comfortable both with working in that environment and with providing the tech that allows that environment to flourish. It has the right security layers. It has the right distribution of capabilities between edge and centralized. It's mostly cloud informed, blah, blah, blah. That's all good. For me, what's interesting about the hybrid work environment is two things. Number one, the thing I think about is not trying to suggest how anyone should work, meaning I can't know if it's going to be three people here, 10 there and 40 there or 50 in a room or what. So I have to plan the entire spectrum. And when you look at it from a spectrum perspective, the most important thing is consistency of experience. I don't want people to say, well, geez, it's much easier for me to be in the office because everything's faster and it looks better and I can get some more. I want them to have the exact same experience wherever they are accessing our capabilities. That takes a lot of what I'll call internal plumbing architecture to make that work that is largely invisible to the population. But I think if you ask an Accenture person in Malaysia and an Accenture person in Canada, how they experience things, they would tell you the experience of how they consume our capabilities once they get inside our company are exactly the same in both of those locations because we deliberately make it so. So for me, that's kind of big observation one about the hybrid environment. Worry less about exactly where people are and more that the experience is holistically the same regardless of where they are and then let them set their own direction, right? And number two is, you know, we inside IT talked a lot about should we be in the office, should we be here, should we be there, right? COVID protocols allowing and other things. We had some freedoms about what to do. And what I actually find is people in my organization prefer to work remotely. They are more productive. They can access other people. They can pop here and pop there and manage it around their own time. It gives great satisfaction to the worker to be remote. But what they want to do 
is to blend together socially, right? And come together for learning, for exploration, for networking, for spending time together. So for me, it's less about um, trying to dictate and more about thinking, what is it I'm trying to do with my group? And what's gonna be the most effective pattern for this to happen in? And then suggesting to them that we do that. There are truly ways in today's world to completely meld the virtual and the real. There are, you've experienced them, I've experienced them, right? They're really close. But at the end of the day, you want to serve your population the way they want to interact. So I want them to have a consistent experience and the freedom to choose when and where to apply that experience to the things they want to do. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's a great overview and and certainly uh, inspiring in terms of the way in which you bring that to life. I wanted to also ask you, you know, a lot of your peers as tech and digital leaders, as to say another thing with data and analytics leaders, um, you know, uh, bounce from uh, opportunity to opportunity. Perhaps they'll have the same role across multiple companies. You've had many roles across the same company for several decades now, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, as a result of that, I can only imagine you are naturally immersed in this business. You understand it from a time when it was much smaller than it currently is. You've had multiple roles, so you've lived uh, and, and walked in the shoes of others prior to taking on your set of responsibilities now. I wonder if you could talk a bit about the advantages of the way in which you've managed your career uh, to date and how um, your role currently is perhaps a bit different as a result of uh, the, the, the fact that you are not new to the company uh, by virtue of taking this role, but rather steeped deeply in it and immersed broadly across it uh, before taking on your set of responsibilities. Well, both hats, CIO and Chief Data Analytics Officer, are both made much easier by the fact that I understand at a Lego building block level how my company works. I can't deny that, right? It helps me to appreciate much more quickly where my business customers are. And when they tell me what they need, I understand why they need it. They tell you something, they don't always give you the background and reason behind it, but I have enough understanding of each of their individual business components to make a very educated guess at that and feed that back to them. And that helps in the quality of the product we give them. The most important thing about Accenture though, right? Not to sound too proud of my company, but I am very proud of my company. I'm a cancer survivor and I learned the hard way that you have to love what you do and you have to know what you love so that you stay in tune and keep your roles around things you like to do. And what I like to do, what makes me happy, what gets me out of bed is learning. I wanna learn something new every day. I wanna leave today just a bit smarter than I came into it. And I want to explore different things that stretch how I think about me, how I think about my place in the world, how I think about my family, my company, the world at large. Accenture is a place of learning. We give you a lot of fancy stats about 10 million training hours and this, that and the other thing. And they're all true. But at the heart of it, you have to think about Accenture as a professional services company, working with clients or even working on itself as exploring. You are an explorer every day, trying to understand better the world around you and how to respond to it, right? That's our mission. That's our mantra. And that is what gives me joy. And so I'm very fortunate to have found a company that acts and aspires the way I experience joy to manage those two things. It's why I've, I've never left. I'd be hard challenged to find another place that puts so much interest in my intellectual curiosity and letting me explore it. That's a great overview, Penelope. Thank you so much for sharing sharing more about that that uh, that story and that journey. 
I wanted to also ask you, there are a number of trends you've already uh, naturally raised as a result of your set of responsibilities. But I wonder, as you look to the future, what other trends excite you? What, what, what's making its way onto your roadmap that you're in the process of investigating and perhaps uh, uh, fine-tuning its applicability to, to a company like yours? Well, if you and I had a month in a locked room, <laughs> we could explore 100,000 technology trends, and they're all fascinating. Their implications are amazing. But one I'll ask you to think about, which I'm currently pondering, I'm thinking about how I would respond to it wearing both my hats. What we are watching is generations of people graduate from university, join the workforce, who have born, been born and lived in a completely digital world. And they have very specific expectations of how they experience technology in their personal life. Then they come to work and they get an entirely different technology experience. And they are very vocal that that is not going to work for them long term. They want to see a marrying of the personal life and the work life when it comes to how they interact with and experience technology. Just think about the implications of that, right? How they consume capabilities through stores and apps, right? How they live primarily on their mobile phone with almost no other devices sometimes. We're going to have to carefully think in our world of large enterprise corporations, right? How we're going to allow that marriage to occur seamlessly and to support them in their desire for that integrated experience. And if you sit in a room with 20 CIOs, 20 hands will go, up, oh, my God, the security implications. Oh, my God, the this, the that. Absolutely. It is incredibly complicated. But when the emerging workforce on whom we're all going to be dependent is demanding it, you have no choice but to answer. So we're going to have to figure it out. That's exciting to me, learning more about that and thinking about that, because I come from a generation that was not raised digitally. And so not only am I learning about the tech itself and the user experience, I'm learning about how other generations think about consuming technology. And it's just endlessly fascinating. So that's one to watch. That's a great overview. I, I also wanted to ask you, you alluded to some of this certainly already, but I wanted to put a fine uh, point on it, if I might. And that is kind of the secrets to your success professionally. Um, you talked about the advantages of having been with Accenture for multiple decades now. The You're clearly a lifelong learner and remain as curious today as perhaps you were early in your career. And that's uh, obviously served you well. Also, you also clearly recognize the advantages of being surrounded by people who are like yourself, very smart, and therefore uh, wonderful opportunities to continue to learn from the people who surround you. Um, I wonder, you know, as you think about some of the secrets to your success to reach the lofty positions you had a chance to, are, are there other things that come to mind that you would offer perhaps even as advice to others who might wish to walk in your footsteps in the future? You do best when you do what you love. So the first thing that I always tell people who ask me for career advice, right, it's the simplest thing in the world. Know yourself. Know what it is that brings you deep joy. Because when you feel that joy, when every day is engaging, when you can't wait to sit down and see what happened overnight and respond to it, you know you're in your zone. And it doesn't really matter what that zone is. You will derive much more intense satisfaction and you will deliver much more intense performance on it because you love it. So first, you need to know yourself. And second, you need to really think about the company you work for and whether their values and how they think about the world matches yours. If you're there for a paycheck, good for you. Everybody needs to feed their families and eat. But for me, it's important 
that that joy that I feel in the things I do are met with equal joy and expectation from the company or there's a conflict there that can make every day a drudge. I work for a company that encourages me to be my best me simply by doing the things I love to do. How does it get better than that? And that's the marriage that you need to look for as you think about what your future career is going to hold because I'm living proof that if you do what you love and you're good at it, over time, you will very naturally rise in your organization and get to do more and more exciting and, and senior roles across the company. Uh, great, great, great examples, Penelope. And thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, well, Penelope Pratt, thank you so much for the entire conversation. It's been fascinating to learn from you, the responsibilities you have and your your broad purview, the innovation that you and your team are, are driving in a, a large, complex, growing organization, uh, as well as a bit about your journey along the way. It's been, been fascinating to learn about all of the above. And thank you so much for your willingness to share. I was glad to be here and speak with you and look forward to future chats. <laughs> I do as well. Thank you. <laughs>